This is episode nine of the Remix Your World podcast with Joy Cardwell. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. What's up, y'all? It's episode nine of the Remix Your World podcast. I'm Allison Kalagna, and today on the show, I'm talking to singer and songwriter Joy Cardwell. Chances are you have heard her beautiful voice on the dance floor, whether she is singing something deep and soulful or big room and uplifting, her voice translates gracefully. Today, we got down to the business of success in the music industry, meditation, and the transition she's in now with opening a wellness center in West Palm Beach, Florida. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Joy Cardwell. So if you are considering joining CIJ, these will be the last two classes that I will be offering for the rest of the year. You need to jump in and jump in quick. You will hear me talk a lot about CIJ in this podcast and what a difference it's made for me in my life and what a difference it's made for some of my students. Um, so if you are in a place right now where you're figuring you want to just upgrade, up-level, remix, and rework, then I highly encourage you and invite you to join me on a powerful eight-week journey through self-discovery. You can find out all the information about CIJ at remixyourworld.com slash CIJ. If you want me to text you, text the words summer CIJ to 44222. That's Summer CIJ, all one word, to 44222, and I'll text you all the information. I hope to see you in class. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Just a heads up, if you are new to meditating and you have no idea where to start and you're looking for a little guidance, I've got something for you. I produce something called the Mindful Mixtape and I'll send it to you. It's five guided meditations led by me, all put to music. If you are interested in downloading this, text the words meditate now to 44222 and I'll send that to you now. Or you can find it at remixyourworld.com. Yo, check this out. Legend Joy Cardwell. Billboard names Joy Cardwell as one of the top 100, number 43, greatest dance club artists of all time from 1976 to 2016, joining the ranks of Madonna, Donna Summer, Diana Ross, George Michael, and Grace Jones, to name a few. What defines a legend? It is longevity, an ability to create a unique place in the world, a recognizable brand, creativity, beauty, and long-lasting memories. Well, if those attributes are what a legend is, then Joy Cardwell certainly fits the bill. With a career that is rooted in black music history, storied venues, spectacular pairings, and momentous events, Joy Cardwell stands alone as a vocalist, songwriter, producer, gay icon, and maverick who has always walked a path all her own. 
Miss Cardwell's professional career started at Amateur Night at the Apollo, where as a college freshman, she won five times. From there, she claimed her spot in the pop R&B producer Kashif's Whitney Houston girl band, The Promise, at a cattle call edition, and sang her way into the Arista recording contract after one song at the piano by music industry icon Clive Davis. Her chops were honored by background work for Jermaine Jackson, Johnny Kemp, Phyllis Hyman, the Pointer Sisters, LL Cool J, Paula Abdul, and Kashif himself. Soon after leaving Arista, another fateful audition with Sony recording artist Lil Lewis led to the classic album Journey with the Lonely, which spawned the number one records Club Lonely and Saved My Life, along with the flawless Do You Love Me and Dancing in My Sleep, securing Joy's place on the dance floor for the next 20 years. As a solo artist, Joy was the center of the New York indie house label 8-Ball Records, where she created two albums, The World is Full of Trouble and Joy Cardwell, each of whom produced four singles, an additional two number ones, and six top tens. Trouble, Jump for Joy, You've Gotta Pray, Run to You, Found Love, Love and Devotion, Soul to Bear, and Power showed the world that Joy could play with the big boys and make them shake it in her very own groove. With the demise of 8-Ball, Joy took control of her publishing and master catalog and released the new soul gems Deliverance and the Plain Jane Project to let the world know that she had more than one trick up her sleeve. In the same vein, she hooked up with Tawate to create Love Connection and guest starred with the Brooklyn Funk Essentials on The Creator Has a Master Plan, performing at the world's finest jazz festivals including Montreux, North Sea, and Nice Jazz Festivals. Writing the worlds of dance and soul, Joy manifested more hits. What It Feels Like, How Deep Is Your Love, Only You, What's Freedom, Change the World, and an IDMA winner for the best house and garage record, Love Somebody Else. As a brand, Joy has successfully aligned herself with powerhouse companies. Reebok, Starbucks, Sony Pictures, Nestle's Power Bar, AEI DMX, NEC Computers, New York & Company, Target, and Stars on Ice, Audi, Levi's, and many others. Her music has been featured in fashion week shows, queer as folk, international commercials, film and television, and has been recorded by other artists internationally such as Tawate and Toshi Kubota in Japan to check idol Martika. Awards, she's got them. 2013 IDMA winner, Best House and Garage Track, multiple ASCAP Rhythm and Soul Awards, two GLAMA Best Dance Artist Awards, Gold Records, 20-plus Billboard chart toppers, and several million-streamed Spotify releases. Premier labels have licensed Miss Cardwell's songs worldwide, including RCA Jazz, EMI Japan, Electra, Sony BMG, Nervous, Slip and Slide, Warner Music, Ultra Music, Defected, Tommy Boy, Head Candy, AVEX, and Legendary West End, among others. Experience the legendary Miss Caldwell live or discover her online. She is the only Joy Cardwell in the world. Miss Joy Cardwell, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Allison? Amazing. And I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. You're the first singer. Well, Ash, you're the first female singer. Okay. I've had. So I, um, yeah, I've been following you for quite some time and I love your positivity. I love your energy. And I love, you know, when you stick it to the people for sampling. 
<laughs> well, you know, yeah. I gotta prote- I gotta protect my assets. Yes, assets. Yes. So I wanted to have you on to kind of talk, have a conversation. Okay. Um. So, when did you find your? When did you know your gift was music? Oh, I'd have to say that was really early on, about five or six. Um, my parents were audiophiles, and um, I'm an only child, so they used to sit, stick me in my room with my own stereo because they didn't want me to touch theirs. And um, at that point, I, ha- I used to get their throw their castoffs from the Columbia Record Club, and those were the records I could play, and I would make up my own little shows and songs to any instrumental that came along. I said, I, I pretty much set myself up as a songwriter to do exactly what happens now. Or, you know, people send me tracks, I write songs to them. I was like, I've been in training since I'm six years old. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was about it. And did you know, was there a difference between you, music and voice to you? Like, did you know that particularly voice was your thing? Or first it was just like, oh, music is it. And then, you know, like, when did you realize, wow, I have this voice? That's- Um, I I don't, I don't think I knew I had a voice. I just liked using it. Um, and, and making up my own songs and singing along. I have a tape actually of myself, um, which is stuck in my tape player and I'm trying to figure out how to get it out. Um, but it, I don't think I was that great a singer (laughs) when I was little, but I just really loved doing it. And then, um, as I got a little bit older, my aunt, who was a professional backup singer, and my mother used to sit around drinking martinis on Saturdays and make them harmonize with them. So I think that's, they kind of figured it out and then just kind of worked with me doing it for both their own entertainment and I guess, you know, some training at the same time. You just, you know, you just never know. Yeah. And I was reading your bio um, and the Carnegie Hall thing is pretty, pretty amazing. Do you want to share something? Uh- yeah, I mean, my mother had me in dance class basically since I was born, it seems like. And um, it just happened to be that every time I did a project, I would be selected to be either, you know, showcased or I would get a solo or I would do whatever. And um, it was a little vignette as part of this recital, The Three Blind Mice. And I had been chosen to be one of the three blind mice. And my debut was at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> And it just kind of went from, you know, I did Carnegie Hall by happenstance. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm 12 singing Minnie Ripperton Loving You at the Beacon Theater. Then I'm at, um, you know, 18 years old uh, doing the Amateur Night at the Apollo and winning that several times. Then the next thing I know, I'm at Lincoln Center. So I, I, I couldn't even tell you what, other than, you know, I say blessed and highly favored. Um, Shit just happens for me, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with opportunity meeting uh, me with being ready and just not really being a fearful person. My mother was very, very instrumental in pushing me out into the world and making me not fear people or circumstances or trying things or, you know, not doing, I won't call them failures, just not really, you know, getting with something and letting it go without fear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's amazing that you had such support at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And you then decided 
Now this is it. This is what I'm going to do for a career. Because you ended up going to school for it. Like this was it. You knew it. No, actually, um, you know, I was convinced by my friend. I went to NYU and I was in a humanities program. I was studying, you know, literature and philosophy, which is my, uh, my thing. Mm. And um, I... I guess I wanted to be a singer. I don't really know. I was just going to school because that's what I was supposed to do. And um, honestly, on my mind as a profession, I was going to go to law school. Wow. And uh, freshman year, a couple, the, the Apollo had just opened again. It was in the 80s. And they had been closed for a while and they'd just been renovated. And my friends were like, you got to go do that. And I was like, yeah, okay. So a bunch of us got on the train and took the A train uptown and I auditioned and I won and um, I never won first place though. I always came in, you know, second or third. Um, but then I won like five times, like I kept winning. <laughs> and then they offered me a contract um, for a year, a management contract, which was a little bit dodgy, but um, which I never ended up signing, which is a whole nother story. But um, I figured, well, I got three more years of school to go. So what's a one year contract where I'm not going anywhere anyway. So no, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, and so that kind of was the beginning of my professional career, you know, semi-professional professional career. And things just kept happening. And I was like, well, maybe I can, you know, keep pursuing this. And my mother, the banker, was like, I don't care what you do, but you better get your degree. Mm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just kept rolling with it. And, you know, the, by my senior year, I had a contract on Arista Records. Wow. Yeah. So what was that first? What was that like? You got that call. Tell, tell us about that. Um, it was a weird situation. So, you know, I had been looking now at this point, probably actively looking at backstage, um, which is the trade paper. And I had seen an article that said that Kashif, who was, you know, a pretty famous producer at the time, most notably for being Whitney Houston's producer, was looking for dancers who could sing. And I'm like, that's bullshit. He wants singers who can dance, but I guess he wanted to make sure that they could move. So I go to this audition and it's all these dancers, you know, stretching and doing their thing. And I walk in and I sing somebody else's guy. So I was like, I'm going for this. So by the time I walked out, everyone just looked at me. You could see like the cattle call lined up. And by the time I got home, I had been chosen to be in this girl group that he was putting together. So my instincts were right about that. And um, we spent the next um, several months, which is over the summer, um, picking other girls to be in the group, one of whom um, ended up being uh, Terry from En Vogue, mm. who subsequently left the group because she was going back to Prairie View, Texas to finish her college education and ended up being in En Vogue and not in my group. And then, you know, that's that story. Um, so by December... Uh, we had put together enough records to, you know, as a demo to to go and present it to uh, Clive Davis. So I had been chosen at that point because I was killing all the, every time we'd audition for a song, I was like, oh, this is mine. Um, so I was chosen as the lead singer. And so basically one Friday night, office is closed at Arista, which used to be on 57th Street. Um, and basically Kashif sat at a piano I sang, Clive Davis listened, and before I left the office, we had a deal. Wow. Just like that. <laughs> that is amazing. 
but that's again, like I said, you know, the stuff that's happened to me is kind of like, well, I'm always prepared. Yeah. You know, I work hard. Like if I, if I know that I have a chance or I'm going to compete with someone, I'm at least coming in with my A game. If I don't get it, then I'm okay with it. But it hasn't really happened to me yet um, in, in that regard when I really want something. I really just kind of focus on it almost like a crazy person. But I put all of my energy into that. And um, the circumstances usually kind of line themselves up for me to present, you know. So that's how that happened. Yeah, and it reminds me of um, like in a, in a sense, it's like your form of manifestation. you manifesting that for yourself, you know, like... Yeah, believe in yourself enough and you know that good things are coming. So you walk that and then, of course, good things come. You know, it's like that. No. Yeah, it's much easier when you're not conscious of it. You know, I you know, once I started to get hold of the whole the concept of manifestation, it didn't quite it doesn't work as well Mm -hmm. as when it's more organic. And that was one of the things in my studies you know, about manifestation and, you know, this whole stuff that's happening these days with people trying to tap into that sacred wisdom um, is that I never really thought about it that hard. I just was like, well, this is what I want to do. And I went for it as opposed to, you know, this new thing. It's like, you know, you have to make your lists and do all this other stuff. And I'm like, that shit just never works out for me that way. Uh, Then when I just do the work and just show up, you know, it seems to be far more natural and far more authentic than, you know, when I'm actually kind of prepping in this weird way, you know, making these lists, which I guess even the universe realizes this is bullshit. (laughs) This is not really what you want, or you're trying to define it. So it's so, you know, you're trying to put the parameters around it so tightly that you end up creating a noose around your own neck. Whereas if you just say, well, I want to sing. Right. Thing, you you know, then the singing leads to whatever it is or, you know, and Whatever it is, you know, I want to ace this test. Well, let me just read the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like I'm just like <laughs> being prepared, knowing what you want and being prepared for the result. Yeah. I think it works out a lot better, you know, than being super like programmed into thinking that there is a formula. There is, but it's outside of our realm of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I've always looked at it as like, I'm, I'm, I know what I want. I can see the bigger vision and it's more or less how that shows up. Fine. You know, looking to open to the thousands of ways that that can show up. I just see what I'm working towards kind of thing. And I stay focused on what feels good and is alive in my heart, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really that, you know, and it's sometimes the opportunities presented to you are totally outside of what you envisioned for yourself or what you even thought you wanted. (laughs) <laughs> Until someone says to you, hey, well, what about this? And you go, oh, wow. Yeah, what about that? I never thought about that. Ooh. <laughs> you know, and it, it gives you this really cool new direction that, you know, you never thought a path you'd never even think you'd be on. Yeah, that's that's what I refer to as the life remix. Totally. It's like, oh, shit's being remixed. <laughs> <laughs> Turn left now. You're like, okay. So what do you think, you know, so of course you've been extremely successful and it doesn't always come easy. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think one of your biggest obstacles have been? In my career or in life or just whatever? First and then if you want to share life, sure. 
Um, I think in my career, my biggest obstacle has been not really sticking to what people expect me to do. I think, you know, it's like, I've been successful, I think, because of it, but I think I could have maybe been more successful if I just was, you know, the soulful house joy and not the circuit joy or not the kind of progressive alternative joy or, you know, whatever, um, because people don't feel comfortable with things outside of the label of what they perceive um, you to be for them. So uh, I think that, yeah, I could have been maybe a little bit more responsive to other people's needs in that way. But then I felt that if that were the case, I would have stayed on a major label and just let them dictate to me, you know, what they wanted to do. And my concern was more about expressing myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, subsequently and being totally forthright with my sexuality, you know, whatever it was, whenever it was, might have been a little bit, you know, of an obstacle for some people. Um, you know, the world is what it is and people like to make their own judgments, even though they have absolutely no idea what your life's about. Um, other than that, I think really not being a nightlife person <laughs> might have had a little contribution to it as well, because I'm not, I've never been, and I'm not one of those people that's out in a nightclub, you know, several times a week. Um, first of all, as a singer, it's just not healthy. It's not a healthy environment for, for a singer to be in because late nights, alcohol, smoke, and lack of sleep is not good for your body, period. But if you're trying to get up there and really like do something live and, and well, and you know, nightclubs are not the most conducive um, forum for live performances as much as we love them, they just are not set up for that. You have to be really in, a, in good shape. You know, so, and, and the older I get, you know, the less tolerance I have for, I'm like, God, you're still in the club. It's like, you know, you're going to the bar and like going to a bar you haven't been to in 10 years. And every time you pop in, you know, every once a year or whatever, the same people are there. You're like, this just, this can't be chance. You're here. All this, you're always here. Like get a life, you know? So I think that would be that. And I say, in, as far as and this might relate to my career, but I think some of my love choices have been questionable Mm. um, because a lot of, uh, I would say the majority of the time, the people that I was involved with always wanted to take me away from my career. Okay. They were super jealous or, you know, whatever. And I'd be like, really, you know, it's like, it's not what you think it is Mm -hmm. or traveling or, you know, it's just all of the things that encompass the life of being in show business were not really that conducive. And I didn't, I didn't pick people based upon, you know, a full understanding of that. And I say some of that has to just deal with youth and passion and, you know, making choices based on, I guess, well, things that people do when they're younger. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it is what it is. But I mean, that's, that's the truth. So, Yeah, so I remember, I, I think like my first Joy Cardwell moment, I think it was, goes back to like deep soulful, like Blaze. I think that <laughs> was around that time. And then, then the circus stuff started to happen with Jump for Joy, Sold a Bear, and, you know, those remixes. Right. Um, and I think... If I can remember correctly, you 
performed at the club that I played at in New Orleans at 735. Didn't you come one year? Because I, I feel like you did around Jump for Joy. I did. I, I, I don't know. Was it Oz? Or I, I've been there. 735 or so, it was definitely. I definitely performed in New Orleans and it was during Pride. I definitely remember, remember that. Um, and yeah, Jump for Joy, which is like a crazy record, which, you know, it's like people would love it. And there's all these incarnations of it. Like people keep remixing it every couple of years and throwing out new versions. And I'm like, I don't even know why this song's so popular. It's kind of a weird, quirky, out there, you know, kind of thing that I just wrote so people would remember my name. <laughs> That's amazing. That was going to be one of my questions of like, <laughs> was there any song that you just were like, eh, and that, that one hit, you know, like. I have so many like that. Like, I really have no gauge on what, the, you know, like, I don't really know. I think what I've found over time is that a lot of times the songs are reflective of, of things that are in my subconscious a lot of times, unless specifically I'm doing something for it. Like, you know, well, nobody knows my name and, you know, little Lewis just put me out there as joy. So why don't I have everyone jump for joy? And then it's a double entendre because it is kind of representative of me. It's like, you know, why not be happy and joyous and have a great life and, you know, don't, I guess, don't have much cares about what people think or whatever, just come along and let's jump for joy. Um, but, you know, like it really was a lot harder than I thought the record would be. You know, the mixes came out so hard and they really put a stamp on, you know, putting me in front of the circuit crowd. And that was a big deal for a while. And then, of course, that fell off, you know, like, um, as, yeah, well, I mean, vocals just kind of fell out and it just became one big drum fest, you know, for that. Um, but it was fun, you know, and I had, and to me, it was, an audience is no different. One is no different from the other. It's just the people, you know, might classify themselves as a certain way. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you're into it and we're having a good time, that's all I need. And in terms of you, what has been your favorite, like one of your, your personal favorite songs you've ever written? I, I think to tell you, one of my favorite songs is Shine, which is not, which is not wasn't even a single. Um, I did it with Rasmus Faber. And um, we had met in Tokyo, like we were doing something together and we were just hanging out with a mutual friend and he says, oh, you know, I'm doing something for this label. You two want we do something together. And the reason why I liked Shine and the reason why I like it um, is that it's kind of got a classic, it's, it's just its own song. It wasn't made for any reason. And I think lyrically it speaks to that inner person that we all have that we don't necessarily show to other people because we're afraid. And, you know, the message is, it's just, you know, shine, but like, let it out, you know? And, you know, the lyrics is I was hiding within myself looking for someone, of course, I don't remember the lyrics, but it's like, I'm somehow thinking that if I could, you, you, you wouldn't know the best of me, you know, it's like, so I've been wondering if, if you've been having those same types of thoughts. And that's really what it is. It's kind of like a person to person, like, you know, we all are insecure. We all have these things that we think about, but at the end of it, just kind of come out. So I think that's one of my favorite songs. And of course they change, you know, depending on my mood, depending on, um, I, I just went back to put together a retrospective of my career, which is about three hours long. And I had to sit and listen to, 
mixes that I've never heard before. Like they've been around, you know, for 20 years, some of these songs. And I'm like, huh, I really like this. And I had never heard it. Or maybe I heard it once when the record came out and I just, you know, threw it into the archive bin. And um, yeah, I mean, like there is, there is a, a T-Shots, T-Shots mix of Soul to Vera that I'm really digging, like right now that I've never heard before. There's a What's Freedom, there was a mix of that that I really liked. Um, that was the group junkies, you know, but it was remixed by someone. I don't even know, but I'm like, you know, it's just like, wow, these are cool songs that were done in really nice ways. And huh, who knew, you know? So it's like going back and listening to stuff and really, well, I mean, I had to listen kind of carefully, but I kind of tried to do the things that I knew were popular enough, but I didn't want to just repackage a bunch of old songs and just be like, Hey, you know, here it is. Um, you know, I wanted to listen to it and see what moved me now and see if it was still, these songs were still relevant and some of them are old, but sound new. Some of them are new, but sound old, you know, it's kind of a weird thing, but I just wanted to put out stuff that I felt would still be relatable, you know? So I guess that's like a lot of the deeper stuff is constant, is always relatable, right? It's something magic about like a deeper soulful house thing or something that's just not so big it just it's constant like I can imagine I'm gonna go back I want to listen to the I will never be able to say his name right well sure sure two shots <laughs> two shots yeah. I will never be able to say that right but like I would imagine that it's very classic and timeless from past stuff of his you know yeah and I think the reason for that is that the soul you know what people what what has always been soul mu- music, which is whether it's Celtic or, you know, American or jazz or, you know, Japanese or whatever it is, is that the instrumentation and the vibration of musical instruments, whether they're electronic or not, but being used in a way that has a flow, a melody, you know, and movement mm. um, is something on a vibrational level that hits you. So I think that that's why, you know, the classic stuff hits you in a different way, even though it might sound, you know, it's dated and the dated part about it is it just belongs to a period in time, but it still feels good because of the vibrational level of what's happening and the synergy that's, you know, happening between the instruments, you know, and then when you add vocals to that, and I'm always a very melodic writer, um, but the, you know, the right combination just becomes magical. Yeah. You know, whereas sometimes things hit you, you know, like the harder stuff, sometimes the repetition can be good if it's if it sits in the right spot. But if it doesn't, then it becomes grating. Mm. It becomes annoying. It becomes hard. You know, it becomes hard to listen to unless, of course, you're chemically altered or tweaked to a certain frequency that, you know, you can't reach alone let's just put it like that and you know and that's keeping it real you know sometimes you just can't be on that frequency if you're just not there yeah. agreed and when you he, when you're writing a song do you does melody come to you first or sometimes words or does it both i would say melody always comes first melody sometimes comes with sounds like you know like and then it's like that sound generates a word which in turn might lead to other words following 
melodically. And then, you know, I'll write, I'll, I'll sing them usually into my phone because I always have my phone nearby. And usually what happens is, is that kind of morphs into a sentence and then that becomes a theme. And then the theme just kind of writes itself after I lock into some sort of melody. It's the repetition, the words almost kind of just flow out of my head the first time. And then that's when the story starts to be crafted around that. Yeah, that's awesome. When I'm playing keys, it's the same way for me. It's like I hear it as words, but without words. And I've right. So I have yet to. Lyrics are tough for me. That's 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 definitely a comfort zone that needs to be pushed for me to like write lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, let me just write the music. <laughs> well, you know that's why that's why every player in the band has their own instrument. Exactly. <laughs> Give me the. <laughs> <laughs> I will never be the drummer. Let me just tell you that now. I could, be, I, for someone who can sing to you know a sixteenth note or a thirty second, I can't keep pace on a using the body at all. I'm like I'm just totally spastic when it comes to that. Answer too. That's awesome. That's so you would think. Isn't that amazing? You'd think it all connected, but there's just like there's one short. There's a short going on there for sure. So you've had, I think, like over at least like a million plays on Spotify. Yeah, currently I think I'm at um, about 4 million. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I have right now, um, according to my data, um, I have about 100,000 plays a month right now. That is amazing. I don't even know how that happened. I'm like, how did me at 50 years old, you know, end up starting to tap into... Well, I mean, I do know how it happened, but it's still, again, serendipitous. Um, Maceoplex. I was just about to say, I love me some Maceoplex and that mix. Maceoplex kind of became my bridge to the younger generation. Um, And that opened up the, uh, the door for kids as young as 13, apparently, and as old as 60. You know, I have this wide range of listeners and I and I know for a fact that that was one way that um, I was able to bridge that. The other way was, um, you know, my association with the Brooklyn Funk Essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, the Creator Has a Master Plan was a record we did about 22 years ago. That was a huge hit worldwide, especially in Latin America and France and, you know, England with that whole acid jazz kind of movement that was happening, that um, giant step kind of world, you know. And um, a couple of years ago, I guess it was 24, 15, we did like an anniversary album and I wrote a couple songs on that, which also dance or die was one of the songs on that album. And the fans from before, plus again, these kids that are into new funk and stuff like that, once again, you know, it kind of, so those were my two bridges. And then I've noticed that that has led to other people discovering me because I don't market myself at all. Mm. I might throw out on Facebook, like, you know, I'll put out my, my healing, helpful, you know, yogi stuff um, because I'm more comfortable with that. And, you know, like I do have a new, I have a new compilation coming out called Pride and Joy. One of the, one of the palm fronds just fell off my tree. Um, it always makes this really loud noise. Um, but anyway, so between, um, between the Brooklyn Funky Centrals and Maceoplex and of course, you know, a couple Pride compilations here and there. And, um, you know, it's like the, the, and Be Yourself, the Blaze record had a new rework um, this year as well. 
um, it bridges all of these worlds that, you know, seem so disparate before, but now have, you know, have kind of, people can flow from one thing to another. And, and all of those chances I took with making albums that were not dance records, now people are going back and listening to that because they're not prejudiced. Right. You know, by, you know, what they went to the clubs when they were 12, <laughs> you know, to hear, or, you know, those memories are different. So they're creating new vibes where it's like, okay, well, I can go from lounge to late night to after hours and you don't have to turn me off. I can take you there the whole time, you know, unless you get sick of my voice, which, you know, can happen, but, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that vibe. So, yeah. So I've been really, really fortunate again to have people who appreciate, you know, me holding true to myself and have actively participated in bringing forth, you know, and respecting that and allowing it to, to, to be new. And I'm not one, you know, I know like some artists, you know, like I wrote this song this way, you know, and they don't want to adulterate it. And I'm like, well, I wrote it to be heard. And if no one's listening to this version and I didn't write the music anyway, so I'm not really that, you know, I'm not really that married to, you know, one mix. I mean, every song I've ever done has been mixed at least five times. So why would I be opposed to, you know, a new version of the same song? That's silly. You know, and especially when we were in waves of technology catching up with the economics of being, you know, an artist. Why would I say, well, I don't want any new revenue. That's just crazy. <laughs> Not business. <laughs> yeah, it's bad business. It's just, it just is. And, um, you know, I, I, I giggle a lot about it. I just laugh and I'm like, okay, let's see what happens next. <laughs> Maybe I can buy some more bolsters with that, you know, whatever. So talk to us about that, though, the yoga. So when, when did you start practicing? Well, I would say that my mental practice, you know, I've been, I've been doing meditation for, I would say, at least 20 years I've been meditating. So that part of my practice has been going on that long. And I would kind of float in and out of yoga, the physical asana practice, um, when convenient, but I, I had a real problem with a lot of the places I was going to because I had lived in Asia and I have traveled a lot. And I, you know, this whole cultural appropriation thing that's been going on. I mean, you can see it, you know, to a certain extent. So I kind of dropped out because I felt like yoga had gotten way too Lululemon and just, you know, it, it had become Zumba. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. I don't mind doing the practice, but you know, you have teachers like barking at you, like your boot camp. You know, not really respecting people's bodies or respecting the whole point of why people come to yoga, or, or you know, why most people think they're coming to yoga. Um, and so I decided, again, through one of those back channel, round the corner ways. Um, that I would study it because I was offered an opportunity to buy a property here in West Palm Beach. Um, and I was thinking originally, well, I'm just going to build a studio and do something like paint, you know, calligraphy, or, I don't know, <laughs> take pictures and have like, you know, upstairs and have a roof garden and all this other stuff. And they're like, yeah, but that building, if you buy that, it's going to cost you like a half million dollars to renovate because it's not really concrete. It's really wood and you don't know what's going on because it's a historic neighborhood. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to do that. So again, I was presented with, well, what would you do with this over here? And I'm like, 
well, I don't know. It's like, this looks like a really good place to put a wellness center. Ding, 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 ding. So the next thing I know, I start, you know, thinking about it. Um, they're like, well, put together a business plan. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I mean, I know how to do that. Um, but I was like, well, sh- I don't really have an idea. I-, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, like I haven't even thought of- this was just something I threw out at you. And they're like, well, if you do this, then perhaps the city can work with you and blah, blah, and get funding. And I was like, well, I think I can come up with something. So one week and a day later, I'd submitted a, a business plan, including a juice bar. And, you know, then I really started going with it. I'm like, juice bar and inside, I'm going to renovate it. It's going to be an open space with this kind of like farm wall and, you know, that we can slide back. Um, barn, not farm, you know, there's barn walls so that I can slide it back so we can have a little shop up front and then we can make the room flexible and have a big yard so I can do 90% of my teaching outside because I felt it was really important to get people outside. Yeah. And it just kind of grew. And the next thing I know, I put up like a GoFundMe for people to help me get my training done. And the next thing I know, I'm spending like, you know, my 50th birthday happened. And the next week I was on a plane to Mexico for three weeks, you know, living in a tent, studying yoga for 14 hours a day. (laughs) So then I come back and, um, you know, while the process is still going on, it's been a year. And because of it is the city, you know, I have to deal with working. My project was so successful in concept that it helped to sell the rest of the block. So there's a whole thing going on that's, you know, they're going to have all these historic, my building will be the only authentic historic building surrounded by replicas, keeping, you know, that intact um, with other businesses that will be supportive and ancillary to what I'm doing. And, um, and then I, was like, okay, so while I'm waiting, you know, don't stress, you know, you get all stressed and oh, it's going to happen by September. It's not going to happen now. It's been a year. And so I went and took a, a meditation certification. <laughs> so I spent four months studying how to teach, you know, the Shamatha practice, which is the Buddhist practice um, without the religion, you know, to anyone. So I'm certified in that now. So again, you know, it's just, it's like the wheels just rolling along and I'm just catching, I'm I'm just catching all the lint, you know, as I roll down the side of the thing. And people have been really supportive here in Palm Beach. And, you know, um, I've been teaching children now, um, kind of as an experiment, but also to kind of fine tune my skills. I've done, I just finished a three month course with them Mm. in meditation and it has really given me some positive results. So now I'm kind of writing grants and trying to get, hopefully very soon, a summer program together so I can teach children six to 12 how to meditate and hopefully let that translate into their lives and school and, you know, coping with the stresses of today's life and, you know, adding the adult programs also as I do that. That is so amazing. I love that. It's crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's saying yes to life. You know, it's like, that's that's about a big life remix. You know, that's just, wow, this is where I'm at. I'm saying yes. You know, like knowing you're following it. That's amazing. Yeah, I I don't, you know, it was like, I I knew I wasn't going to be doing much more music. um, And that's why I'm official. Like people say, well, you're never going to record again. And I'm like, no, but I had to, I had to declare myself retired from that as my main profession in order for me to place not only 
energetically, you know, the, I, you know, the fact that I can't keep one foot there and try to step over here without ending up in a split, you know? Um, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure at some point I'll have an idea and I'll come up with some new music, but I really wanted to, to cognitively, consciously and, and purposely put my efforts into this primarily so I could get it done, you know, at least set it up and get the infrastructure done and get people involved and be the, you know, use my media savvy and my marketing skills and all of those things that I learned in show business to get people on board. Then I can always partner up with other people. And if I decide to go on a tour, well, I can do that. There's nothing that says I can't, but I, I can't, I couldn't ride into, I couldn't ride fully in, in both worlds. You know, you can't do it. Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's, it's, it's challenging. I remember for me, even cause I've really stopped taking a lot of gigs and it's just a slow transition that's happening for me. Um, and I'm doing other things musically, you know, that's outside of being in the club, like you were saying. Yeah. And the, I remember for the first two years while I was in school, you know, coaching school and such what it was very hard. I was split like one on the weekends I'm sitting here going, you know, playing and on, during the week I'm studying and it's, it was very hard. And, and now as they're starting to shift as one, you know, foot is out of the clubs more, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much more movement with Remix Your World because of what you're saying. It's like, you know, allowing A, the space for it to create and B, putting yeah. focus towards it too, you know? Yeah. And it's something people, what would you say for you? You know, people come to me and take my CIJ course for this transition, right? They're like, I don't know what I want to transition. Mm-hmm. What would you say for you has been the most beneficial tool or anything that helps you know, like I'm transitioning and this is what I'm going to use, you know, for that? I would say first and foremost, you have to realize that the time is up. Acceptance. You have to really be like, this is not working for me. You know, you have to, you have to pay attention to the signs of your dis-ease. You know, um, a lot of times we accept things in our lives as givens. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm getting older, so therefore my digestive system's not going to work as well. Um, oh, I've been in a relationship this long, so it's natural for it to just plateau and die. Oh, you know, I hate my job, but I have to earn a paycheck. And this is the one thing I know how to do. As soon as you reject pretty much everything that you know is given, is given and realize that you do have some control over your being, then other thoughts start to come into your life and your vision of what's happening around you becomes different. And once you see things differently, then you might see the same thing that was there going, hey, lady, you know, hey, mister, uh, perhaps you want to look over here or do this or whatever. So I think that that's really the main component is just be aware of what's not, work- what's not working for you. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't have to be as dramatic as, you know, like life or death kind of thing, but it could be just that niggling little I don't want to go to work today again. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go home. 
you know, and it's like when you start avoiding things or you just kind of like you start showing up late or you're just making excuses or whatever it is that brings your attention to that. That's the time. And then the next step would be literally to just be like, well, what do I like? Mm-hmm. What do I like doing? Yeah. What do I like being around? You know? And just be open to it because I thought I didn't want to be around kids. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about those creatures, you know? you know? And then it was like, well, why don't you, you know, somebody at my church, they needed help like with we have this after school program. The kids are just running wild, you know? And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What are they not just let them in the room and whatever. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just try it. Mm. And then I realized, well, these kids are pretty funny. (laughs) And then, you know, that just opened me up to a whole nother thing where I was like, you know, wow, kids are stressed out. Parents are stressed out. If I can get the kids not to be so stressed, that'll help the moms or the caregivers not to be so stressed. If I take care of them, and them, then everybody's taken care of. And then it becomes more, you know, then they're more connected. Yeah. And that's what's missing from a lot of people being connected to something. They're isolated in their own feelings. And then I guess that leads me to the third point, which is talk to other people truthfully. Yeah. You know, be truthful about what you're feeling, be truthful about your fears and, and acknowledge that it's okay you know, to not live up to the expectations of whomever, even if it's of yourself and change. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language. I love them. Like, hey, man, you're preaching, girl. <laughs> <laughs> to the choir. Preaching to the choir. So a thousand of all of that is such yes. <laughs> awesome. That's good to hear because, you know, I could talk shit in my mind all day. Oh, this is, it's just, you know, it, you're speaking my language. I love it. And I love that you're doing meditation for, kids. I mean, I know what it, I've been meditating, I think like 11 years now. And I, I, I go two days, three days without it. I'm a mess, you know, to the point where my yeah. friends, my friends will look at me and be like, you sat in a couple of days. <laughs> it's true. You know, I, some days I intentionally, like Sundays are usually the day that either I go to church or I do nothing. Mm. Like I, I'm like, okay, the temple of me is happening today. And I usually find that even when I'm not meditating, literally, when I'm in a meditative state, which is just allowing me to be quiet and not have all of the extra stuff, um, things come to me. That's when I get some Sundays are like my idea day. Either I'm inspired by something, come home, um, you know, that I heard in a sermon or whatever. But usually it's like whatever happens when I'm just quiet and allow that contemplative meditative space to exist. I'll get what me. Yeah. Yeah, it will come. Yeah, I call them divine downloads. Right. Bam. And like, I, it's funny, so many, my, you know, even students will, I can see them rushing to try to find the answer. And I, I'm always like, slow down, go sit. The answer is already within you. Just chill and let it come. Right. We're programmed to feel um, that we need to do something in order to change instead of like, relax, let the answer come, and then slowly start to transition. Right. You speak of, you know, you go to church spiritually. Is there a particular faith? Do you have a, you know, what's your vibe on spirituality versus religion? I think that in both cases, it's, they're all individual, um, you know, because you can go to say, and I've been to every church on the planet, 
you can go to a great Catholic church with the priest. The priest is just on point and totally together. And then you can move or go someplace else and be totally wrecked mm-hmm. by the attitudes and whatever. So I think both in spirituality and religion, you have to be careful of, of who you're listening to and not to get too wrapped up in the story, which is again, like everything, you know, like don't get too wrapped up in the dogma or the charismatic character or whatever it is and try to use whatever the method is that you're learning from, you know, be balanced in in your observations. And if it doesn't work for you, just get up and go someplace else. You know, again, you're not stuck. You, You know, I was a Baptist. Well, you know, I, my, my parents were probably the least, I was always a, a spiritual kid, so I would be like, um, I didn't even belong to a church or my parents, you know, they didn't baptize me as a kid. They was just like, go ahead. <laughs> you know, so I'd be one week and you know, the only child I know that like begged them, oh, can I go to vacation Bible school? They'd be like, whatever, girl. You know, I'd be like, um, you know, Catholic one week, a Baptist the next week, a Methodist. So, and then again, I guess following my true being, you know, studying literature and philosophy. In college, I got to, again, really study, you know, the different uh, trains of thought. And at the end of the day, what I have discovered and still discover is that primarily there is, there is no difference between religion and spirituality other than the point of view politically or, you know, time-wise or, and usually it's political um, and populism, as we well know, you know, it shifts with the tide. It shifts with how well, how well people are doing. And so you've got to take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, if you put Buddha next to Jesus, next to Amun-Ra, next to Confucius or, you know, whoever, any of these deities or these, you know, Hinduism or Sheikhism, if that's even the right, or Jainism, or whatever it is. Essentially, it's the same. You have nature, man, and bigger than all of it. Mm-hmm. So where's your, where's your place in, the, in that world? If you can figure out where you are within that, you'll be all right. <laughs> amen. I know I say amen, and I'm the farthest from a Christian or a Catholic person, but I will sit and listen to the TD, TD Jakes all day. There's so, yeah. so it's like I I feel so what you're saying because I can I like to find the the wisdom in whoever is right and I wasn't raised religious either you know and I was raised in raised in Dubai so like it was a whole different thing but mm-hmm. I I was so called to the morning the prayers you know like right. the sound of you know the prayers and and obviously. yeah. I, I was so taken by three times a day, people stopping, taking out their carpets from the back of their car and praying and hearing that music all over the loudspeaker. Yeah. Drew me in and it never drew me into, there was some, it was just the mysticalness of it, you know? And then at the same time, I loved my great, my, my grandmother who would tell me stories of the Bible, you know, no matter what, you know, it's like I was, there was one moment when I finally feel like I found what I had called God. Mm-hmm. I called one, my grandmother. I'm like, this was after a really late night at the club. Right. <laughs> in the morning, I found, you know, quote. I found religion. I found it. <laughs> I called my grandmother. 
Nami, I found God. What do I do? And her answer to me was, well, I'm, well, that's good. Why don't you find a good Catholic church? And I remember looking on the TV and finding like, a, it was a Sunday morning. Of course, I was out at the club all night. And then I found like Catholicism on the TV. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, hmm, I don't think that's what I just found. <laughs> yeah, you're like, no, not quite. Same thing that, I'm, uh, that I just experienced. Um, so then I went off and researched just like, wow, this is all saying the same shit. It's just yeah. remixes. Y'all are all saying, singing the same song, different remixes. I know. It's just like, who's in charge? You know, who's king? As we used to play, like when I was on tour in Japan, we were doing, who's king? You know, it's like, well, I'm king, so I'm going to take what you said and twist it so I sound like the greater, better man. It's like, this is all ridiculous. Mm. So that's why I don't really, you know, I mean, for many years, I, I, I question the whole Jesus thing, you know, it's like, yeah, because people were just way too literal. I was like, this is just too literal. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. No mystic is that literal. Eat this, you know, eat this apple and you literally will be saved. I'm like, I don't, I think it's a metaphor. Like, you know, you know, it's, it's more about thinking about, you know, what you're doing and being conscious. But, you know, um, like I said, I've, I've come to resolve that through thought and practice. But, you know, just like everything else we're talking about, you have to be, you have to be aware and you have to practice. You can't just be aware and not practice because that's impractical. You cannot be not aware because then you're just ignorant, you know, and you can't just ignore things when you, when you are aware, you know, you have to be, you've got to be engaged in your own being, you know, like, I don't know who said this, but it's like, you know, change will come. Either it will come to you or you will make it happen. Mm. You know, but it's a coming. It's a coming. It's a coming. And, it, and it's a little nagging. <laughs> yeah. It's, we ignore. And then all of a sudden, boom, if we ignore it long enough. Then it's, right. it's a coming. Boom. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I guess that's pretty much, you know, my take on, on life in general. It's like, you know, be aware. Act on it. You don't have to be specific because that's just being a control freak, which usually leads to the point that you feel helpless, you know, and you want to control things. But, you know, be in control of yourself and then you can figure out everything else. I love it. You're awesome. You're speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to tag team one day. Be like, yes, boom, bang. Into it. And I, you know, like lyrics are going to, I mean, I, I'm curious what lyrics will come as the more yoga and the more practice and the more, you know, like, I'm curious about that too. Yeah. And remember that that's a skill set like anything, you know, I didn't become, I, I, I've looked at some of my words and, you know, my, even listening to old songs and I'm like, <laughs> Ooh, that was bad. <laughs> that was bad. But then I have to take it for what it is. You know, I was a developing artists in an apprentice world where you have to, the only way to learn is to, by doing, you know, you have, again, going back to the practice, which is why we practice, you know, it's not like I'm getting to the end result and I will be on my deathbed. I've done it all. You know, I want to be like my 96 year old grandmother. Like, is it, is this it? Like I got more things to do. I'm not done yet, you know, but I want to be pretty much cl- as close as possible in feeling that, you know, there was no stone left unturned at that point. Love that. You know, that I tried as, to get as much as much in as I possibly could before the, the bell rang. 
<laughs> I was going to ask you, like, legacy-wise, what do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. My legacy. I guess my legacy is to bring joy to the world. Oh. Whatever in whatever way that it is, you know, and that will change over time. But I, I'd like to think that my mother didn't misname me. Oh, that is beautiful. I love it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on so much. So tell us, so when is the center opening or what do we know or how do we find out? And uh, well, I mean, January is the latest um, date that we have for Jump for Joy, the center in Palm Beach. Um, and in the interim, I am filming classes of my little chats and things like that um, that I'm doing um, that I will have up in the next month. I, I am working um, on that currently. So while I'm doing that, I'm I'm... I'm, my work, my job, my money-paying thing is um, consulting with people in the music business to help help them get through the navigating of you know today's world, which is pretty much like yesterday's world with new computers, um, as far as contracts and things like that are concerned. But um, yeah, it's an everyday endeavor, you know. So uh, really, I don't use social media that much. I do have uh, Jump for Joy Wellness is on Facebook. And as we move forward into getting into a true space and I figure out the distribution method that I want to go into, um, it'll be around. But it's just like my name, Jump for J-O-I, wellness. So if you keep looking, it'll be out there in the world and things will start popping up and, you know, that'll be that. But I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it open. Leave it open. Leave it open. But New Year 2019, we're in 2018. 2019 will definitely be up and running. And, I, and as we start doing the renovations, I'll start posting things up so people can see our progress. Amazing. I can't wait to see it. Thanks, Allison. I really appreciate this time speaking with you because it's, this is like the realest interview I think I've ever had in my life. <laughs> There's not enough of this in our music world. And that's what I'm trying to do. Of Like, y'all, let's get real. It's not about the showbiz all the time. Yeah, I mean, really, who can live up to that hype? God, no. It'll kill you. I'll tell you. <laughs> I really, really enjoy talking to you. Uh, you can come back anytime you want. We'll do something else. You've got excellent so much wisdom that you've just shared, and I appreciate it so much. And I acknowledge you. And I'm, I, I mean, I loved you before musically, but now it's like a whole nother level. I'm like, damn, you better preach it to me, sister. Yes. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. We'll be in touch, and anytime you got my contacts. Awesome. Bye. All right. So. So there you have it, my conversation with Joy Cardwell. I hope you found something inspiring. If you want to take a listen to Joy Cardwell, you can find her pretty much everywhere. As you heard, she's got over 4 million plays on Spotify. So go check her out if you have not already. If you live in South Florida, keep your eye out for that wellness center. I'll make sure that when it does launch, we'll bring her back on the show and let you guys know. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. So for those of you who follow me musically and you've been wondering what's going on and why I've been so quiet and what I've been working on, well, it's finally time to let everyone know. The Peninsula Chicago opened a new rooftop lounge called Z-Bar and I've taken on the role as music curator. 
The Sound of Z-Bar is inspired by international travelers, the house music roots of Chicago, and a modern mix of electronic lounge music that is as sophisticated as the cocktails served. Personally, my favorite is the Z. From afternoons and happy hours laced with bossa nova, soul, electro swing, and disco to late night vibes of ethnic electronica, deep and melodic house. Whether you live in Chicago or are passing through, come and enjoy the handcrafted cocktails and indulge in exotic cuisine. Featuring gorgeous views of the city, Z-Bar's sexy, sophisticated, and global vibes are carefully curated to inspire your inner nomad and steep you in luxurious electro-zen bliss. So wherever you are on your journey, make sure you pass through this immaculately crafted way station where inspired libations and unique vibrations will help you feel both right at home and a whole world away. Cheers to new chapters and rooftop magic, and I'll see you in Chicago. Chicago. 